0: Welcome to the NewScape Higher Ed Podcast, featuring your hosts, Don Betts and Mark Stansberry. This podcast is brought to you by NewScape Higher Ed Advisors, helping university leaders effectively serve their faculty, staff, students, and community. Visit NewScape.us to find out more.
1: Welcome to another episode of NewScape Higher Ed Advisors. I'm Mark Stansbury. Yeah, and I'm Don Betts. Today we have a special guest, a former president of a university. Don, please uh, introduce our guest.
0: Oh, this is a great pleasure for me personally and professionally. Um, our guest today is Randy Butler, who recently retired as the president of Southwest Oklahoma State University in Weatherford and Sayre, where he served in that capacity for eleven years. Um, Randy is um, A distinguished has a distinguished career in both public service and and education, and we could spend uh, the entire time here going through his resume. I I know Randy pretty well because we were colleagues together for many years, but I learned a great deal about him once again as I as I looked further into his his background. Uh, Randy has a tremendous interest in history and has been a very very successful history teacher and, and scholar. Um, and also of an incredibly successful legislative career, um, including a number of important positions serving in the Oklahoma State Legislature and uh, the governor's legislative liaison for Governor Brad Henry. But I my my selfish view of this is that um, he was my colleague and, um, a, and, a, and a friend who led uh, a very important institution in Oklahoma, Southwest Oklahoma State University, known as Swasu by by so many now thanks thanks to him. Uh, is is one of the is one of the stars in in Oklahoma higher education. So uh Randy I on behalf of Mark and I and Newscape I'm just delighted that you were willing and able to to join us and Mark and I are going to spend the next few minutes having an opportunity to uh, interact with you um, and to uh learn more about you and your perceptions of of issues of, of importance. So uh, If we start out a little bit, could you, would you mind giving us just a little, I I gave some words, but just a little thumbnail sketch of your, of your, of your background, because you really have a very unique uh, procession, which led you all the way to a university presidency. If you'd comment about that, we'd love it.
2: Well, thank you, Don. I appreciate that. Uh, I hope I can live up to that introduction. But uh, now, Don, thank you very much. Don was a great colleague to work with also uh, in our regional university system and uh, greatly appreciated his leadership and working with him while he was at the university of central oklahoma and also before that at northeastern state university um i was born and raised on a ranch out uh, north of elk city oklahoma and uh, in fact we still do that still still operate the ranch out there it's uh, been in our family uh, for many many years my great-grandfather came out to the area in 1903 and uh, established ranching practice out in that area uh, eventually wound up uh, going to school uh, going to my higher education career uh, at the institution where i would eventually be president as Don mentioned southwestern oklahoma state university received a uh, teaching degree there got both my bachelor's and eventually my master's in education at southwestern uh started teaching in the area in uh, 1984 and uh, would spend seven years teaching history and government at weatherford high school uh great uh, public school institution, uh, very successful. With uh, had great students that were involved in research. We were involved in a program called uh, National History Day. Uh, had students each year that would go to the national competition. In fact, one year, a group of students uh, placed second in the nation at the uh, competition at the University of Maryland in College Park. Um, Then in 1992, uh, had always had a great interest in politics and uh, moved back to my hometown, uh, ran for the Oklahoma House of Representatives uh, that year. uh, won that seat would continue to serve for four terms, that's eight years uh, without opposition uh, was able to do do many things uh, for Western Oklahoma, uh, then uh, left uh, and uh, went back to the ranch. Operated it for a couple of years. Then a good friend of mine, by the name of Brad Henry from Shawnee, was elected governor. Uh, he called me up and asked if I would come help him and his administration. I served as uh, basically head of Uh, legislative affairs for the governor's office for three years uh, passing much of uh, his agenda and then uh, my good friend and my predecessor dr john hayes asked me to come and work for swasu in uh, 2006 Uh, did that john was very much uh, very big on leadership programs and i helped establish the uh, president's leadership class at swasu uh eventually would would complete a a doctorate and uh, when john retired was selected in february 2010 as the president of southwestern oklahoma state university and did that until uh, june 30th of of this year when i retired after 11 and a half years. So that's, that's kind of a summation of, uh, of my background.
1: Randy, you do have a, a great, uh, educational background for what you've gone through, but also what you delivered as far as higher education for others. And so we are very thankful for all the contributions you've made through the years. I, I have to go back to Western Oklahoma. In fact, uh, Randy is uh, was inducted to the Western Oklahoma Hall of Fame, Western Oklahoma Hall of Fame, a few years back, and uh, I was there and was really proud to see him get that honor. Uh, he's uh, definitely represented Western Oklahoma in a big way. In fact, my mom, who was curator of the Old Town Museum, Randy uh, kept a file on you, and uh, back uh, in uh, your junior high school, high school days, you were several years younger than me from Canoon, and I'm from Elk City. But uh, when she passed away, we had all these files to go through. And she had uh, all these people that she looked up to and thought the future looked great. And she kept following her way back to high school all the way through uh, to her death. She she had uh, high regards for Randy Butler. And uh, so uh, I, I got to read some of the clippings and so forth. And there are some things you're not adding to that, by the way, that uh, are very, very impressive for all the things you have done through the years. Uh, Randy. The Communication between and uh, the relationship between a, a board member, and I was had the honor of actually being there <clears throat> in 2006 <clears throat> uh, when you were uh, appointed um, and serving on the Board of Regents uh, as well as chair through the years. There's this relationship that's very important to have between a, a, a board member and not just, uh, we'd say, not just a, a board uh, as far as Board, board of Regents but also uh, any board. Uh, and so those that are listening to this uh, podcast, how do you uh, in, envision, uh, or how did you envision and, and what you envision in the future is relationships with board members uh, when you're serving as president or in a leadership position, a C-suite position, how do you relate? And what do you envision a board member, you know, defined from what your perspective is? Because I, I find that you can get too much involved as a board member, or maybe not enough, where's that balance? And how do you recommend a board member uh, have that relationship with the president or C-suite?
2: Well, thanks, Mark, great question. And and of course, first of all, uh, just thought the world of your mother, Lucy, Uh, she was a great Western Oklahoman, and and I appreciate uh, you mentioning that. But on the relationship, uh, primarily with the governing board, you know, the first thing I would say that's that's very important is you know that a lot of times uh, uh, the president or head of an institution and the board member you know sometimes come from a little bit different perspectives, have different backgrounds, things like that. And I think the first thing is for both to realize that to that that both have an opportunity to learn and understand. Uh, you know, the nuances of of each other, and both can learn and need to have that open-mindedness. And I know that you always did, and many of our our board members did, because, you know, so often, and and I know we're specifically talking about higher education, and this is not the the case every time, but, you know, a lot of times uh, CEOs of institutions will have spent nearly a lifetime in education, they know the institution, they may take it for granted that, uh, hey, the board members should know, you know, what I know, but not have that background and experience. And of course, you know, the, the CEO is trying to look out for the institution and the academic integrity of the institution. But again, you know, the governing board member represents the people that help fund that and we're talking about public institutions here granted there are private institutions that are that are the same way but they have a very important duty to the taxpayers and to the people of of the state who they represent and of course may have very different experiences and in both sides you know the the ceo may not always be right nor the board member And in any situation, I think that's vitally important is that, and, you know, this is something I always, always teach my students in my history class, talk to them about is, you know, probably one of the hardest things that a person can do is change their mind. It can be scary. Uh, It can uh, make you feel like, uh, you know, you're, you're wrong and people don't. Like to have that feeling and so forth, like that. But it's also, I think, one of the most courageous things a person can do is always look at their position. Am I right? You know, I have the ability to be wrong, but also education and 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 conversations between those two, the CEO and the board member. Um, you know, I would always, uh, and I think you know this, Mark, is that, you know, if I had a, a controversial issue or an important issue that might come before the board, I would generally call board members before a meeting, before things like that, uh, try to uh, you know, acclimate them to... Uh, what was going on, answer questions and things like that, because, you know, neither side wants to be caught in a surprise or anything like that and needs information, you know, just because uh, the president of an institution says it so doesn't necessarily mean that's the right direction. And uh, so those conversations have to be healthy. And they have to be sustained through the process, so Randy, uh, I know we've already talked about your 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 background being
0: incredibly varied and and incredibly successful. but how how those that listen here, many of whom are connected to higher education, but not all, what what uh, a day in the life of a university president is like you You have uh, been responsible for Weatherford, the Weatherford and the Sayer campus, uh, representing them um, out, not only at home but in the state and far beyond. But I think most of our listeners might not have a sense of, of what it is a president might be doing. Um, perhaps they saw a film about uh, higher education that was made back in the '40s or '50s or '60s, and it's all very ivy-colored uh, hallways, and um, uh, everyone is uh, being incredibly sagacious and and um, and thoughtful. Uh, but the challenges and the opportunities of the university presidency, I think it'd be very useful. I'd love to have you comment on that, if you, if you would, please.
2: Sure. Well, of course, you know, as you probably understand, a lot of that will depend on the type of institution and size. But, you know, in our case, with Swasu being an institution of about 5,000 students, uh, you know, I tried to be involved as much as I could in the community and on on the campus so you know like all university presidents there are tremendous demands on on your schedule things like that but it's important to try to keep that balance you know not get frustrated or things like that because that that is certainly easy to do Uh, But also, you know, one of the things that I prided myself in and was actually, I can't claim ownership of it because my two predecessors, Dr. John Hayes and Dr. Joanna Himbler, followed this is is in the president's office at SWASU, we always had what we called an open door policy. And that was basically that anybody almost at any time could come into my office and visit with me. Now, of course, you know, we, we would make sure, especially within the structure of the university that, you know, uh, professors and employees and so forth would would go through the chain of command, you know, that that's very important, but we were always available for anyone to be able to bring their issue or just stop by and, and say hi. And uh, so of course, you know, that takes some time. Another thing that I practiced at, at Sue, that my predecessor did also was uh, something I believe, I hope I get this correct, he would refer to as management by walking around. And uh, so if I found during my day that I had a little bit of time uh, a lot of times I would leave my office and I would just walk around campus, visiting with students, popping in, you know on on a professor in their office, just visiting a little bit, you know, that type of thing like that. And uh, that was very helpful for me to kind of get a flavor of you know what was going on in the university during that particular day or week,, uh, but also gave me an opportunity to make connections with employees, uh, you know, with professors and instructors, and, uh, and, and you know, that relationship uh, would be important, I think, to the health uh, and particularly the academic health of, of the institution. Uh, of course, you know there are always a lot of demands on your schedule to go to community events. Uh, And and keep in mind, I had had experience in that realm, having been in politics, Uh, you know, having having been a state representative, uh, my deal was, particularly in my district, I was going to be at as many events as I could. And I took that same philosophy uh, when I was president of the university, not just community events, but of course, all the events that you have going on on campus from uh, you know, student government association meetings, to school plays, to uh, receptions, things like that. Uh, you know, and especially with students and stuff like that, they love to see uh, a lot of times the president uh, take interest in, in their particular organizations or groups or things like that. So of course that puts a uh, tremendous strain Uh, on the time of the president, but also the president's gotta be able to keep that balance of that and some downtime. So, you know, I was lucky. I had the ranch to go to a lot of times on the weekends, of course, we weren't playing games, things like that, and would be able to get out there and, uh, you know, do something a little bit different and then get away sometimes from the strain. Of, of the office. But, you know, a lot of it's about, about the balance.
1: As a student, a teacher, professor of, of, uh, history, uh, are there leaders and reference books or references, uh, points of reference in regard to leadership that, uh, you would recommend and that you've actually, uh, embraced?
2: Being a historian, uh, granted, uh, you know there are numerous individuals that I have studied, and and not just in in my presidency, but you know in politics and things like that that I've looked to for uh, you know uh, instruction and so forth like that on on leadership, and and you know many are are well known uh, Lincoln Churchill uh both Roosevelts, Theodore and, and Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, you know, uh often state, you know, I often get the question, you know, as a historian, who are your favorite presidents, uh, you know, uh, besides George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, you know, which many are given, or are, are probably Harry Truman and uh Teddy Roosevelt. And and of course, you know, you find a lot in their, uh, you know, writings and so forth like that, that uh, uh, lead to, uh, you know, uh, good leadership skills. Thinking right offhand, though, uh, a book and I would tell you a film uh, that's based partially on the book that I would recommend. I think it it has some great leadership lessons in it. Is uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin's uh, Team of Rivals. And, uh, of course, the uh, the movie that was made uh, not too long after that, uh, uh, Lincoln, uh, you know, I think the movie was very well done. And uh, there are a lot of leadership lessons in that, that, you know, you, you, you can't just listen to your inner circle. You know, you, you have to bring in arrival ideas, thoughts like that. You may not accept them. You may reject them but it's important that you look at them that you study them and that you try to build consensus uh based on that in my meetings with my cabinet and other things like that you know i wanted a full discussion of the issues whether you thought you were going to to agree with me or not i wanted to hear those discussions and i might change uh, my mind based on those discussions, but I thought it was important to air those discussions and and to listen to those and uh, to make an informed decision based on that,
0: so Randy, as you look ahead now, you've stepped away from the presidency and you look back across your 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 career, and you'll be watching Swasu so your whole life. we know how we know how that works. But when you look forward, what would you say are the key challenges that um, universities in Oklahoma and across the country are going to face in the coming years. What are the issues that you were contending with during your tenure and maybe why you were, in fact, stepping away that you know are going to persist? And uh, how, how do you think uh, higher education will respond to the challenges that come from society in, term, in terms of its um, value? to the people who are the citizens of a state or the country. I would, again, appreciate your insight.
2: Well, you know, the obvious one probably to a lot of people, of course, are finances, budget. Uh, you know, that's still very prevalent uh, even today in, in, in most states, not just Oklahoma, as we see other important issues, health care. Uh, corrections, thing, things like that, compete for those precious uh, state revenues. Uh, generally, as many people know, what you have seen is this movement to really disinvest from higher education, to put more of the burden back on the student on tuition. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, You know, I think that that begins to limit, uh, you know, access then, uh, particularly at at public institutions. So, you know, within this state and within this country, I believe we're gonna have to have a real discussion on, you know, what is the future of investment in higher education, Uh, being a historian, we have seen several, in the past, we have seen several important initiatives by states, but I'm thinking right now, particularly the federal government, in relation to higher education. You had the Morrill Act, you know, during the 1860s that would eventually establish the land-grant universities, and then, of course, a few decades later, a, a a renewal of that, that uh, would also help establish uh, what are known as the, uh, uh, of course, the the historically black uh, colleges and universities, uh, which was a very positive, very important step uh, in, in, in the expansion of higher education. You, of course, uh, the next thing I, I think of, of course, then is the Sputnik moment uh, and of course uh, uh, the space race and the initiative for investment into science and math at our institution that, uh, that brought about great dividends. Uh, some of you know that we sent several of our physics and other graduates to work at nasa not just houston but other areas and and helped land man on the moon Uh, we had individuals that uh, you know helped uh, actually uh, uh, save apollo 13 during that uh, tragic situation that could have become even more tragic so we had that that great uh result of that investment. And then, of course, during the Lyndon Johnson's administration, the higher education acts, the investment, the Pell grants, so forth like that. But unfortunately, after that period of time, uh, you know, we, we've not seen that now, you know, just recently due to the pandemic, Great Saving Grace was Uh, the ARPA funds and and COVID funds that were provided basically to help us get through uh, the pandemic era. But, you know, I think what people need to start questioning is when is the next great major leap and investment in higher education? Because there's no debate that when we saw those investments, we saw great results for this country and other countries have seen that also but unfortunately it seems like you know at least for a while we've been on this track of disinvestment in higher education and that also goes along with another issue that that concerns me uh, somewhat and I know it can be somewhat controversial but you know higher education has got to do a greater job of of proving to people and showing to people uh, all across the average citizen the great uh result that higher education can have I see in this country right now in many areas a great anti-intellectual movement I, I I know there's a lot of theories on, on what caused that and why that's happening and things like that. But I personally see it out there that, you know, there is this idea that, you know, professors again live in and, and presidents of higher education live in this ivory tower. They have no realization of of the real world. You know, we turn out students with degrees that have no practical application in the real world. And that is simply not true. And, and, and it's not true, particularly, I speak uh, for, for for the institution I was the head of, is we have, of course, community leaders involved in our programs. Uh, you know, we have people on advisory boards asking the question, what type of graduate do you need in this profession and of course you know we're turning out pharmacists teachers people with applied engineering degrees that go directly into work and and you know we've we've got to do a better job of of talking about you know we're turning out students that over 90 percent of them are getting jobs they're staying in the state things like that and so, you know, there is a perception issue out there uh, that we continually have to battle. There are people out there that are specifically targeting higher education, negative, negatively, and we've got to realize that and make sure that the story and uh, the story of our successful students is out there. So, that we can compete for those very scarce and important tax dollars, and that the average person in the United States really views higher education as an investment. And that's gonna take a lot of work. It's not something that's gonna happen overnight, and it's something that we'll continuously have to do. To, for uh, the average citizen out there and our lawmakers. Randy,
1: social media is uh, definitely at the forefront in what, what you just discussed, uh, and as well as uh, uh, journalism and so forth. How how can we, what you recommend, how can we be more efficient, effective, really in the communication? You mentioned what we need to do. How do we go about that? I and mean, it's just, it's a team effort uh, with community and students and parents and on and on faculty, uh, and how do we stay on point? Uh,
2: what do you recommend? Well, first of all, you're exactly right. You know, social media is so important because our, a lot of our customers now keep in mind, um, you know, and, and I have to explain this to a lot of our lawmakers is that, you know, not every one of our students, is 18 years old just graduated from high school coming in so there are a variety of different students and variety of different ways that we have to do outreach but again by and large you know many of our students are younger so we have to make sure that we're involved with the uh, latest trends and social media whatever those are and And let me tell you, I have a hard time keeping up with it. So it's important, as many people would probably understand, you know, to have people on their staff in their public relations and so forth like that, that understand that. Um, But it's a variety of different ways to communicate out there. And you've got to use all of those. You know, in our area, local newspapers are still important. In many areas, they may not be. In this particular area, local radio is still important. Uh, And so it will vary by the size of institution and the community that you are in, but you've got to use all of those and tell the stories. You know, I, I think something that resonates with people most of all are personal stories, stories of student success uh, stories of the, the history of success. You know, as I just mentioned, uh, a a while ago, you know, we talked about some of our graduates that were involved in, uh, in, in the space program, uh, in, in the, particularly the Gemini and Apollo and space shuttle missions. And, uh, you know, we, I talked to students and I talked to community leaders about, you know, our graduates, help change the world. And uh, anybody can do that, you know, uh, uh, with a with a higher education degree. And so, you know, you know, the the message of improving yourself of, uh, you know, making not only a better station for yourself, but your community, as I often uh, told uh, parents in orientation meetings, you know, we have all these, we have, like many institutions, we have many famous and successful graduates that have gone on and done great things, and, and that's very important, but the graduates that we're most proud of are those graduates that have gone out there. And they've made a life for themselves, raised a family, contributed to their community, you know, maybe they they weren't, you know, didn't, you know, a major CEO or anything like that. But they made and are making an important mark on this country, and that is they are contributing back. They are making a good life for themselves and and the people around them. I think it's personal messages like that and the many, you know, you've got to use all the arrows in the scabbard. Uh, you know, as, as far as communication is, is concerned.
0: Randy, as you, as you step into the wings of this role and on to other things, because you have, you're, you're so multi-talented, people often ask presidents, so what will be your legacy? And uh, I always found the question to be almost irrelevant because you don't get to prescribe that. But as you think about the work that you did, what what really stands out for you? what What matters most as as uh, as, as President Butler becomes citizen butler and and continues his efforts to to make Oklahoma and the country better?
2: well, not not trying to make light of it, but <laughs> off the hand trying to be a little bit silly, I think. You know, I hope I didn't screw it up, (laughs) but uh, I think you're right, Don. You know, I, I don't necessarily think of what I guess the way I think of it when I left is, you know, did I leave it in a little better shape than, you know, maybe I found it? And did I leave a program and a direction for the next president and future presidents? To follow to build on uh, what we started. So you know, to give you an example, um, you know, a, a couple of the projects that uh, we had working when I left, and I hope to put on a on a, a a trajectory to help. One of the big ones was uh, one of the things we want to do at, at Swasu is to become the uh, center for healthcare education in Western Oklahoma. And of course, you know, we start with having, of course, what I believe is a great nursing program, one of the fine, finest pharmacy programs in the country, allied health, so forth like that. Uh, we were very, uh, you know, honored that the city of Weatherford voted uh, sales tax to help us along those lines. And with that, Uh, Before I left, we received one of the largest uh, donations in the history of the institution to look at building a facility that will help rural health care in our area for many years in the future. So, you know, that was kind of the vision uh, that I hopefully left, you know, for my predecessors uh, to build on. So, you know, that's something... The other thing is, you know, our our outreach with other institutions on healthcare, you know, we we signed an agreement with Oklahoma State University and their Physician's Assistance Program, uh, you know, looking at uh, expanding some of our offerings into the uh, easternmost part of our service area. Uh, the western Oklahoma City metro area, particularly Yukon. Uh, you know, we've got instructors on the ground uh, trying to uh, help uh, alternatively certified teachers uh, get certified uh, right now, making those classes more basically more available and there in person uh, for them. So those are a few of the things that so, so, you know, in my philosophy, it's, uh, you know, did you hopefully leave the place a little better? And did you set out a strategic vision for greater happenings in the future?
0: Thanks for joining us for the conversation. Make sure to visit our website at newscape.us. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. We would really appreciate it.